Well, hi everybody. Welcome to the Cultural Studies podcast. I'm here with a new friend, Prentice Wu. Prentice, uh, Prentice Ku, I'm sorry. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies, Prentice. It's very good to meet you. How are you today? Yeah, great. Because uh, actually, I just joined. Uh, I changed my little job from Greenpeace to WWF. So mm. recently, not really busy, but uh, <laughs> anyway, experiencing some new thing, new stuff in my life. New job. life, yeah. yeah. And and Prentice, um, WWF used to be World Wildlife, but it's now just WWF. Is that right? It's just known by this acronym. What is its real title? I get really confused. Uh, still worldwide, uh, uh, funding uh, because uh, I. I don't really know why the changes happen like that, but because it might be one of the reasons might be because of the globalization. Because yeah. WWF is more simple to be remembered. Oh, okay. So uh, that is one of the advantage. And I would say actually WWF done quite well in branding yeah. because I guess everyone knows WWF and know the panda. It's, they know the panda. Yeah, yeah. it's very outstanding. Yeah. 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 So tell me, why did you move from Greenpeace to WWF? Uh, because actually in the past six years when I was with Greenpeace, I try almost, um, I get used to Greenpeace working style, activism, doing action, hanging banners, all this stuff. It's, for me, it's time to experience another kind of um, working style to make changes in our society. Right. That's why I joined the WWF. And especially in Hong Kong, I would say, even in the previous experience in Greenpeace, we have some collaboration with the WWF. Uh -huh. So it's not a completely new environment to me. I know some of them and I know their working style. Therefore, um, why not take a try? Why not try something a bit different? And what are some of the differences between the two organizations here? Uh, what I can mention is only about the organization here in Hong Kong comparing mm. two different organizations because the biggest difference here between WWF and Greenpeace is the scales. Because uh, WWF here in Hong Kong is much bigger than Greenpeace. Therefore, as you can imagine, the division of labor, something like that, is more detailed in WWF. Mm. But in Greenpeace, basically, you just have a team of four working on one issue and then everything you have to accomplish. <laughs> yeah. Wow, just four of you. Yeah, on one agenda. Yeah. But basically, Greenpeace is not only four, pe uh, four people. Right. Here in Hong Kong, they have 30 people. Oh, but I see. They separate into different into teams. teams. Yeah. 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 So you yeah. care. You take care. Let's say, for example, I take care on climate change issue and yeah. energy. Therefore, I have to look into every aspect of energy, from let's say emission, air pollution, mm. to nuclear incident in Fukushima. Yeah. So, uh, however, here in WWF, basically, I have a lot of teammates. To work on the mm. issue, then therefore I can be more focused on my own topic. And the other con, another uh, changes between difference between two organizations is that the uh, WWF basically focusing more on research and lobbying here in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. However, Greenpeace is working more closer with the media, trying to uh, shape their social agenda. So it's um. It's slightly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's more public relations involved in Greenpeace and more re uh, more attempts to get the media on side 
and more of a focus on lobbying elites and doing original research for WWF. Is that yeah, right? exactly. I would say um, WWF provide, um, let's say, more information on the topic, but Greenpeace is about how to make the topic become interesting. Yes, how to make it alive, yeah. bring it to life to people. Yeah, yeah. and bring it in front of the people. Not yeah. really backdoor lobbying, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now, so you will be, have very interesting experience once you've been at WWF a little longer about the, the limits and the potential of both approaches, I guess. Of course, there are yeah. uh, a lot of limits because, uh, let's say, even in the previous uh, collaboration between Greenpeace and WWF, uh, they also say that something they can't do in Mm -hmm. Because let's say uh, they, the most obvious one is that they, in WWF, we always want to shape the agenda in a positive way. Yeah. Try to be encouraging. Yeah. Let's see if there is hope. Let's go together. Let's move forward. Something like that. But in Greenpeace, usually, usually they go to point out the problems, saying that here is the problem. Here is the villain. Here is the bad guy. Yeah, uh, go and change it. Yeah. So this kind of, this is a very fundamental difference between two organizations, yeah. and then it developed uh, not uh, the bigger difference in the whole organization operation. So I would say this is what I can foresee even before I joined WWF. Mm. But why not take a change? Why not be sort of positive in in a period of in your life. <laughs> so you felt as though after six years at Greenpeace, you'd had enough, in a sense, of focusing on critique. Um, not really. No. There is so many things in our society which you have to criticize. Yeah. However, uh, I just think that uh, to be to develop my own capacity yes. or something like yeah. that, mm. it will be better to change because. Mm. Um, what I can learn from Greenpeace right now, I believe that is more or less done, so-called. You know, I yeah. get all the technique, campaign knowledge, and then uh, and the working style of Greenpeace can mm. be uh, further explored. The potential is so limited because I spent six years there. It's time to change an environment, therefore, you, you might take out some of your potential out of yourself. Yeah, okay, okay. So now you have been, a, what you're saying is in terms of your development yeah. as an activist, uh, an applied intellectual, you need some new stimulation, some new learning, some new approaches. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, part of the reason might be because of the umbrella movement here in Hong Kong too, because uh, it is a sign of actually Umbrella movement is really about criticizing the government, trying to uh, use a confrontational way, not although not very confrontational, but still trying to express yourself, show your demand to the government. It doesn't work very well in the sense that we get nothing as a whole in Hong Kong. We don't have the real uh, universal suffrage in Hong Kong right, right. now. So maybe it's time to learn some of the other skills 
mm. and also develop it together with the Hong Kong society. Yeah, but it's interesting because Apprentice, when we were walking to the room to record today here at Chinese University, we would jet. We were joking that we might call this podcast "Green is Boring." <laughs> By contrast, with yellow the is interesting. <laughs> yellow, yellow is interesting, and in fact, he's wearing a, a, a little cardigan that has a sort of green and yellow trim. It's a great yeah. cardigan with a green and yellow trim. Very nice. And I guess it is. It must have been very exhilarating to be here during the time of the Umbrella Movement. But but you sound quite skeptical about its medium to long term efficacy, its real impact in terms of suffrage, democratic freedoms, and the opening up of the political system. Mm, I would say the political system didn't really open up、uh, even after the Umbrella Movement.、Mm. Maybe in the other way round, it become more closer to、mm. their own circle. Yeah. Mm. Because right now the government basically is trying to do it、uh, in the most ideal way. The government consult and balance the in、mm. different interests. That is the sort of theoretically right、uh, position of the government.、Mm. However, right now the government the government here in Hong Kong is、mm. trying to leaning towards one side, the,、mm -hmm. uh, the pro-government side. Yeah, they try to allocate all the resources, and they try to answer their interests.、Mm -hmm. So,、uh, it might not be really a, a good development for the civil society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, therefore, uh, is it might be the a good timing for the whole civil society to equip ourselves with different set of skills,、mm -hmm. no matter in lobbying. Or confrontation, yeah. yeah. So that's why I would say the Ambar movement is is unforgettable. I would say,、mm. however,、uh, in long run, whether it's good for our civil society, I doubt.、Uh, were you involved at all? Did you get excited by this and get involved, or did, were you one of the people who stayed back, or you were doing other things? I did involve in Ambar movement、mm. because.、Uh, During that period of time,、uh, Greenpeace sort of open-minded that allowed staff to join it on their personal capacity. And basically, if you say you are on strike, you don't want to go to work. Okay, feel free to do that. So、uh, I have the chance to really take part in the umbrella movement,、mm -hmm. and I I think in the very beginning. Is perfect.、Mm -hmm. However, later on, there are so many discussion about the, let's say, the positioning of the movement, how radical we should be, how confrontational we should be. Therefore, this kind of discussion, I would say, in this for the civil society in Hong Kong, is really lacking of such an experience、mm -hmm. to discuss what will be the best. Or how to collaborate、mm -hmm. between different opinion leader? They might have different stand on it. So I guess this might be the main challenge for the civil society、mm -hmm. here in Hong Kong to further develop in the future. Right.、Yeah. Right. That's very very interesting. So you were glad to be involved in the Greenpeace direct action model. You were glad to be involved in the street protests of Umbrella. 
but both at a personal level and at a political level, you think there it is the time to do other kinds of work, and that this may be more practical in terms of both a green agenda and a democratic agenda. Have I got that right? Um. Not exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 I still believe activism mm -hmm. uh, is really important, even in the future. Mm. However, I would say the weakness of current civil society in Hong Kong or mm. in the green movement here right now is maybe the other set of skills. Mm. Yeah, we have to do better in lobbying. We have to do better in, uh, let's say, persuading the. Uh, corporate world, world, the commercial world, to join the social movement, or at least find some common interests for the corporate and also yeah. the civil society. These pieces of uh, capacity hasn't been developed during the umbrella movement or during the previous uh, my experience in Greenpeace. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I believe I have to build this capacity. That's why I change, but yeah. not exactly about uh, activism is no longer important in the future, something like that. I right. Agree it's just that. at this moment in history in Hong Kong, yeah. you think the emphasis needs to be placed somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because uh, yeah. maybe uh, one of the reasons is corporate. Corporate is a really big part in Hong Kong. Yeah. Especially, uh, I don't think only in Hong Kong, but all <laughs> around the world. Yeah. But we fail to persuade them to do something good for the society. It doesn't. The situation is slightly different from Europe. Europe has a strong sense of CSR, corporate social responsibility. Yeah. But here in Hong Kong, yeah, we talk about CSR, but not really uh, ambitious in CSR. They mm -hmm. might have some. I would say still remaining on PR level, mm -hmm. having some nice. Nice event, having mm -hmm. some nice picture for the for the senior management, but not really about let's say the labor right or mm -hmm. some of the really proactive uh, environmental advocacy. Let's say for example, uh, Apple and Google mm -hmm. promised to develop uh, renewable energy in their in their own investment profile. Yeah, it's a dream for uh, it's not only a dream, but. Uh, I can't imagine it happened here in Hong Kong for the Hong Kong corporate to take similar stand. Right. Therefore, yeah, that is the reason I would say these pieces of work has to be done in the coming future. Let's focus now on sp some specific campaigns you've worked on. Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. So I'd love to know about that. Uh, when you started at Greenpeace six years ago, so you've had quite a long period working there. What are some of the interesting activist events that you've been involved in where you think that there was an impact and where there wasn't much of an impact. It'd be interesting to know about the difference between the two. Yeah, in the early days I joined Greenpeace, that is like uh, 2009, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there is something big happening in Copenhagen, mm -hmm. the COP meeting. There was a hope that the uh, African, uh, the Go, uh, can there will be an agreement, legally binding agreement, all around the world for carbon reduction? Yeah. However, it failed. But uh, in that year, we uh, we are urging the uh, leaders in every government to join that meetings in order to make such a deal. Yeah. 
Therefore, here in Hong Kong, we urge our chief executive to join that meeting. So it's pretty exciting because uh, uh, maybe in 2009, in Europe, in America, climate change is already a hot topic. So to speak. <laughs> yeah. But, but in Hong Kong, it was, wasn't. Okay. wasn't such a case. But you put it on the agenda. Greenpeace yeah. managed to get it noticed by the media and the general public. Yeah, exactly. In the run-up to Copenhagen. Yeah, and we, we give a spotlight mm. to Chief exec Executive by hanging a banner in the uh, central government offices, that is the headquarters of our government, saying that uh, with the picture of the uh, Chief Executive, and naming him as the climate fugitive. Right. Yeah, so he's wanted. <laughs> yeah. right. So uh, it created quite a lot of noise in front of the media, and it created discussion in political arena, like mm -hmm. uh, the Legislative Council, that is the so-called Parliament of Hong Kong. They all the uh, legislator asked, where, asked whether the chief executive will join that meeting. Mm. So that is the real impact, yeah. but not the media exposure. Everyone keep pushing the chief executive to join the meetings, and is I personally I guess at that time actually the legislator almost every legislator didn't pay attention to what is UNFCCC or didn't know the climate science, but they know what should be done by the leaders here in Hong Kong. So I would say this kind of uh, agenda setting or shaping the message mm. into simple and stupid is <laughs> quite successful in the yeah. sense that that is exactly the political impact we want. Mm. Mm. Just by action, hanging banners, it causes about, let's say, the cost is very low about uh, Let's say twenty or, or maybe forty thousand Hong Kong dollars, then you can achieve that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that was one of the first things you were involved with. And whilst the broader Copenhagen talks were not successful, this action was successful in drawing political and public attention to Hong Kong's complicity in the issue of global warming, and. What did you get up to after that? Uh, actually, after that is a really big shift of the of the focus of my work mm -hmm. because it's quite interesting. Uh, previously, as as our government promised to send a representative to Copenhagen, they have to prepare something. Therefore, they give our so-called strategy or policy blueprint yeah. how we're going to handle. Uh, tackle climate change mm -hmm. in our future. So they come up with a, a paper saying that, oh, why not we increase the import of nuclear power from mm -hmm. mainland China? Yeah. You can imagine I have to work on nuclear power then. Yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, then everything, everything on my work become nuclear focus. Yeah. Yeah. And the, maybe I'm very lucky that the something happened in 2011 
facilitate the whole discussion. A tragedy, yes. nevertheless, yeah. it meant that this became a very live issue because of what happened in Fukushima. Yeah, in yeah. yeah. The, the things happened in Fukushima and the proximity with Hong Kong and yeah. Japan, yeah. it became huge in media yeah. and also in political uh, discussion. Whether should we continue increase the import of nuclear power? Mm. So uh, I spent a lot of time in Fukushima. I joined some of the field work there, and I just uh, bring back the real situation there in Fukushima back to Hong Kong, and showing what happened in Fukushima, because uh, no one experienced a nuclear disaster in Hong Kong. Maybe in Europe, some of the reporters have has the experience in Chernobyl, mm. but here in Hong Kong, no one. No. So basically, we have to guide the media mm. if they are sending someone to Japan. What they have to pay attention. So uh, the credibility of Greenpeace suddenly increased a lot because you were doing field work and yeah. research, and you were directly articulating the local media to these issues. You yeah. were helping them. Yeah, helping them. To understand these issues. Yeah. And did you do this in concert with Greenpeace in Japan? Is that yeah. your, your point in? Uh, actually, not only Japan, because mm. during that period of time, the whole Greenpeace internationally, our 40 office, mm. operate together. Yeah. We set up a, a group of people trying to monitor the development of Fukushima 24 hours yeah. globally. Then let's say starting from US, they take in a shift, and then Hong Kong, and then Europe. Mm. So we work 24 hours a day. Yeah. Therefore, uh, we get we become um, the most credible source of information mm. at that yeah. period of time. Yeah. And where we, I don't know how to say it, but our credibility built up by one incident, mm -hmm. which is one of the local experts of Liu Kier, which he is pro Liu Kier, saying that in the, let's say, first two days of the incident, saying that the incident will, it, uh, expo explosion will happen. That there's no problem here, really. Yeah, they say, uh, probably they are going to settle the incident and everything will be safe. But we keep, we were very skeptical yeah. on that stand. We are saying that basically it's a, uh, we are losing control on, on the plant, on the reactors. Yeah. No one knows what's happening. Very likely the situation is deteriorating. And of course you were right. Yeah. And that pro-nuclear expert was wrong. What's wrong? Therefore, after that, he basically disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing too. Yeah. So uh, I would say this kind of experience is really an advantage of being mm. a, of part being a part of the international organization like Greenpeace. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you basically if I was with uh, local NGOs, mm. I don't have such a chance to join it, and I don't have such a chance to utilize this opportunity to uh, make use in our local agenda. Do you think there are disadvantages as well as advantages in being a vast multinational NGO like that? Yeah, of course. There is such a disadvantage. And it's very obvious that we failed in answering some of the local agenda, like the Chinese white dolphin. 
and yes. like the building of the third ex- third one way here in Hong Kong. Yeah, because this is a local agenda. It might relate to some local conservation area, something like that. Yeah, but as an international organization, we can't really involve a lot. No, no matter in resource or in time wise, we can't involve a lot in that. We have to focus on international agenda like climate change, something like that. So uh, that is a disadvantage that the interaction with uh, the hot topic, hot local topic, yeah. is limited. And it's interaction with the hot local topic that can get you a lot of legitimacy and interest. Yeah. And ironically, Fukushima became almost a local topic. Yeah, to, uh, because of the proximity, because of the history with Japan, because of Japan's nuclear past. Yeah, and also one of the uh, so-called framing of Hong Kong, from of Hong Kong people towards Japan is that they are they are having a very uh, solid management system. Their quality of product is the best, something like that. So when Fukushima happened, such a big question mark was in every Hong Kong citizens. Mm. Even mm. Japan can't manage right. nuclear power. Right. What happened in mainland China? Yeah. yeah. Right. So this is uh, a unique experience, I would say. Right. Yeah. Wow. And what did you get involved in after Fukushima? What was your next big project? After Fukushima, that come to local discussion of uh, that's of uh, Utilities of the power companies, mm-hmm. yeah, because uh, the power uh, here here in Hong Kong, the electricity market is completely different from no matter UK, Europe, or US. Basically, two monopolic company here in Hong Kong. They separate Hong Kong into two separate grid, and then the government, the only control of the government is uh, using a revenue cap on two power companies. Mm-hmm. And that's all. So they have a duopoly that is absolute. Ah, uh, not duopoly because they separate the grid. So, so it's two monopolies. Yeah, two monopolies. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So very interesting. Such yeah. a small city with two separate grid yeah. and two power companies. Right. So uh, and uh, and they are not interested in developing or importing renewables. Right. So. Uh, they are interested in developing their own renewable project, but under the current uh, current regulatory regime, mm. they will earn a lot, and the renewable will be extremely exp- expensive. Mm. Yeah, so it's very complicated finance issue how they calculate their profit, but that is the current obstacle for Hong Kong as a whole to develop a more sustainable energy structure. Mm. Mm. That's why we have to, have to work on it. Uh, and it's extremely difficult to work or to target a monopoly for campaigning. They own everything. They own the grid, they own generation capacity, and the government has no legislation, no power to control it. So you can imagine how tough it is. Wow. Yeah. And, and therefore, I w- to be honest, I wouldn't say it is a very successful campaign. Mm-hmm. What we can get is just some minor, uh, let's say, compromises, mm. a compromise from the uh, from the two power company. Yeah, 
they say they will allocate some of their resource to facilitate demand side management. Yeah. To help the uh, poor to let's say changing their light bulb, uh, changing their refrigerator, something like that. So it's some minor thing. But I would say this is one of the key how we change the regulatory regime here in Hong Kong. Mm, Hong Kong. And we did fail in even in act, uh, having some action. We tried to occupy their uh, offices in order to have to push them for compromise. But uh, it doesn't really work. Yeah. Because they just let you occupy the office forever. Yeah. They don't have to even talk to you because they own everything. Yeah. And they don't want to negotiate with you, with a green, green groups. They, they, their compromise come after that. Everything end and then they make compromise. So uh, I would say this kind of uh, monopoly is really a big problem. Yeah, you have to know how to handle that. And it's still a big question for me to uh, to seek for an answer if in, let's say, in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Hong Kong Consumer Council is interested in these issues, isn't it? And yeah. Other entities that want to do something. What was it like for you and your colleagues to have that sense of disappointment that you'd managed to occupy this space and it just didn't matter? Hmm. And... Yeah, we have to go into further evaluation. Maybe then we come up with a new strategy, trying to influence their their customer. Then, if we can't change the monopoly, mm. change their customer. Mm. Yeah, that is uh, that is the only thing we can do: changing our strategy. And to be honest, as a no matter as an activist or as a Taking yourself as a, no matter what you think your position in the civil society, mm. if the previous strategy doesn't work, you have to look for a new one. Mm. That is the only way to keep changing the society. Mm. Yeah, let's say right now back to the unbalanced movement. It doesn't work for occupying the street, having sitting there for seventy nine days. It doesn't work. Then nothing you can choose other than. Mm a new strategy. Mm. Yeah. Right, so try something different. Yeah. And don't necessarily remain stuck in your old ways. Yeah, I always talk uh, to my colleagues say, uh, from my past six year experience. Mm. If you try to do something in the same way, you can only achieve the same outcome in the most optimistic uh, mm. expectation. Mm. Very likely you will get less than before. Mm. Yeah. So when did the power grid campaign end for you? When did you stop working um, on that? I would say we stopped at last year, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, there is a midterm review of the regulatory regime in two years ago. And then when the, the midterm review end, the, the strategy ends. Because we always try to make use of. Ooh, oh, my God, it's the cell phone. We can't lose that. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, 
there was a regulatory review of yeah, exactly. the regime. Yeah, we always try to make use of some policy window. Mm, yeah. Let's say at that time is the uh, midterm review yeah. of the regulatory regime. So after the review, the window is no longer there, and mm. we change. Yeah. Mm. And so what were the last things you did at Greenpeace before you left the ship? The last thing I did, uh, let's see what I can remember. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you had a big time farewell party and you can't recall too many details. Yes, de therefore I have to chase back quite a long time. Think, think, yeah. think. <laughs> uh, anyway, the last thing I did is trying to develop some new project for Greenpeace. Yeah, because before I leave I have to settle what will be done in the coming future. Mm. And that's why I tell you, I can tell you that the strategy is going to change. Mm. Yeah, no longer focusing on the uh, monopoly, yeah, focusing on their customer. Mm. And others, uh, exciting stuff is something like, uh, uh, you know, uh, the last thing I really have a strong image yeah. in my mind yes. is that uh, still the campaign on the power company. Yes. Yeah, but that is a trial that uh, uh, trying to put a big sticker in front of the, yeah, on the building, on the facade of the building yeah. of the power company. After that, I just directly everything uh, down to the ground floor and then do an interview in, that, uh, in front of the media. Uh -huh. And that is a special arrangement of, in, in Greenpeace history because usually the activist is um, so-called so far away from the media and the media can't get uh, access to interview the activists. At that, in that action, we decide to change it a bit because we always we keep getting a request from the media saying that, oh, is it possible to ask the activists some question? So it seems that the media is interested in it. Mm. Therefore, we try to arrange it and try to develop a better action in the sense that try to answer most of the requests mm. from the media. Mm. And what do you think the media's interest in people abseiling down buildings comes from? <laughs> Why do they care? They want picture. They, they, want, want, they want action for the Yeah, they groups. want yeah. video. Yeah. Hey. And people sitting in rooms wearing suits and with fancy handbags talking about policy. That's not great imagery. Yeah. yeah. A, funny, a funny picture of a man in a hard hat abseiling down a building and then talking about yeah, it. Yeah, come in front of the camera. That's worth having. That's yeah. interesting for the nightly news. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to think of what is interesting in front yeah. of in the television or yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Something like that. Mm. So that is, mm. I would say, keep involving your uh, the, uh, the tactic of each action you have to keep answering give them some new element in your action mm -hmm. otherwise they will just think it's something similar it's not news yeah it's old yeah so and, and that's why the decision to have you as a campaigner also be involved in the action and giving an interview yeah, exactly. was elected, was chosen, yeah. so that you could be on the message verbally, 
because you'd helped to write the message and you weren't just one more volunteer who might stumble yeah. over the words and be unused to media activity. Yeah, and it's so surprised that it, actually in designing that action, mm. we have a discussion saying that will the media waiting for us? Because mm. it takes time yeah, to absent down, to finish the sticker and then come down for the interview. But turn out the result is quite good. Most of the mm. TV channel is willing to wait as far as they know one of the activists is going to come down and really talk to us. Yeah. And what about the police? What is the state doing in all of this? The police here in Hong Kong is quite friendly to uh, to this kind of environmental action. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say, yeah, the, and that's why, to be honest, before Umbrella Movement, no one expect that our police can be so uh, violent towards uh, uh, and towards any uh, protest right. or any activism. However, it shows that it depends on the on the topic. If it's environmental, yeah. they're okay. If yeah. it's about sovereignty, that's another matter. Or if it's blocking a freeway. Uh, actually, we do blocking some of the freeway in the mm. past. Uh, Greenpeace action, but the police is still quite nice to us. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not that political sensitive, I think. Yeah, that's really the issue. It's not space. It's not even conduct. It is the ideology underpinning. Yeah, it's the, the issue. I would say. Yeah. They. Mm. So you can imagine the order of the uh, uh, police what they get from the senior management yeah. must be very different from what they get in our action. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So Absolutely. that's why they take different position. Yeah. 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 So uh, uh, that is what we learned. These are wonderful stories, Prentice. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about Greenpeace before we go on to talk about WWF? Uh, Greenpeace, uh, I would say there is so exhaust, exhausting for thinking of new tactics mm. to feeding the least of the media. And I would say that is the, the beauty of working in Greenpeace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to keep brainstorming new stuff for the media because our agenda, the, the environmental agenda, is not the top priority of media. No. Therefore, you have to be bold, you have to be think out of the box in order to attract them. And that is very, I don't know, that it might be quite comforting with the uh, current, uh, let's say, the traditional uh, social movement, because mm -hmm. we always have a thinking that our agenda is very important. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to say what we want to tell everyone, but that is not true. We have to think in the in the normal citizen way. Yeah. yeah, you have to go beyond your own knowledge, passion, yeah. obsession. Yes, and put yourselves in the shoes of somebody for whom this is a passing issue, even though we know how crucial 
it is. Exactly. Everyone, let's say the normal citizen here, you know, Hong Kong is just walk, yeah. w- watching very bad TV drama, <laughs> yeah, shopping every day, going to the cinema, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So yeah. how can you expect they pay attention to, to your to agenda? Your topic. Yeah. Okay, let's move on then to WWF. We've got about five minutes left. I hope that's okay. Okay, yeah, that's, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've only been there a month. Yeah. What are some of the questions you're working on there? Yeah, I'm still working on electricity market. But right now, it's more focusing on uh, corporate lobbying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to persuade the corporate... The that, big customers. Yeah, lobbying them, but... Uh, not really asking them to take a proactive approach, but starting from very uh, low-hanging fruit, like uh, uh, persuading them a change in the electricity market is not something very risky. Yeah. Because corporate doesn't like risk. They think right now it's quite okay, why, why we have to change it? So we have to at least persuade them the risk is very minimal. Mm. So you can see the message is very different, yeah, and the approach is very different. Mm. So this is what I have to work on, and maybe in the, at least for the next year. So you're becoming a policy wonk, a yeah. policy advisor, which was always important at Greenpeace, but is more central at WWF yeah. for you. Exactly. Mm. Um, I can spend more time on working out this policy structure, mm. how to frame mm. it, yeah. and provide it as a vision for the whole society to, di- to discuss. For Greenpeace, is creating the discussion. Yeah. But here is providing a content for discussion. Right. So I have to get in touch with a lot of academics, yeah. something like that. So right. the job nature is slightly different. Slightly different. And maybe last question. Mm. Uh, um, you're a graduate of this university, of Chinese yeah. U. Tell us a little bit about what you did here and whether that helped you at all in your activism. Uh, I, it's quite interesting because so-called this is the School of Journalism and Communication. Yeah. I didn't pay a lot of effort on journalism. <laughs> yeah, I tried to escape from all the course about Liu, something like that. <laughs> 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 I, I was interested more on advertising and marketing, something mm-hmm. like that. That's why I would like to shape, if I can, yeah. I will be very happy to say I succeed in marketing the social agenda or the environmental agenda yeah. to the society. Yeah. Because I think if, they can, if the corporate can sell their own product, which mm. is not good for the society. Mm. They are so successful. Why not? We can do something similar. That's actually positive. Yeah, but actually positive for yeah. our society. Mm. Yeah. Well, Apprentice uh, Ku, thank you very much for giving so much of your time. It's been fascinating getting to know you a little. And I wonder if I can extract a promise from you, <laughs> which is next time I'm in Hong Kong or we find ourselves in the same city, yeah. could we meet again and record another podcast about your next adventures in WWF. Yeah, sure. All right. Thank you very much, my friend. It was great to meet you. (laughs)